You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. Welcome to the scrimmage. I'm not an 80s metal band lead singer, but I am Daniel Hargrove, one of the show's <laughs> hosts. Woo. And I'm Justin Domashevitz. <laughs> These intro noises get a little weirder every week. I think our co-host Daniel Hargrove might have a couple of screws loose, but we do have a great show for you today. If you watched any ESPN 8, the Ocho, this week, you probably caught the Slippery Stair Climbing (laughs) World Championships and the Dodge Juggle Championship Tournament, which I found incredibly interesting. We'll give you a thorough breakdown of those in today's show. Absolutely fascinating. Also, a new test out of parts one and dose of our shows this week. But in this first part, we're going to stack it full of football especially the two-minute drill, which is going to start now. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Mark Rossetti. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Hello. Gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds. Hand the ball to the ref. Gun do it right, gun do it right. Three jet Buckeye. Don't worry. Three. The two-minute drill starts now. The Chicago Bears have declined the fifth-year option on Mitchell Trubisky's contract. 2019 was Trubisky's third season in the league, so the quarterback is still under contract for the 2020 season. Justin, does this change the way you look at the quarterback battle between Trubisky and recently acquired veteran Nick Foles? Actually, yes, it does. Unfortunately, as much as I've been rooting for former Tar Heel Mitch Trubisky through this whole thing, and when Foles was traded for, I thought, well, you know what? Who's been a better backup than Nick Foles? I think it was a great move to bring Foles in just in case something happened to Trubisky. But the reason I think now Foles is more likely to win the job is because the only advantage that Chicago gained by doing this now instead of at the end of the season is it protects them in the event of a major injury that prevents him from playing in 2021. They could have waited till the fourth season was over and still not picked up the $23 million fifth year option, which, you know, if they had any belief that Mitchell Trubisky was going to have a breakout season this season, I think they would have waited. I think the writing is on the wall. Unless Trubisky does something magical, this season, he's going to be gone. Several Seattle media members, including Mike Salk of the Brock and Salk podcast, were disappointed that the Seahawks didn't use an early pick to snag a wide receiver from the historically deep receiver class in the 2020 NFL draft. Daniel, were you also disappointed? I wasn't disappointed that they didn't take one early because I think they have way many more needs that they need to figure out besides the receiver position. But I was a little worried that they picked Freddie Swain, a dude who didn't do much in college by way of receiving at all. I mean, there's still some pretty darn good receivers out there, and that was their pick. Even that late in the draft, there are some talented guys out there who had a lot of college production. So this 
almost worries me that it could be another Amara Darbo situation where you're like, oh, yeah, he seems like a talented guy, but he didn't do anything. And you're like, well, maybe there was a reason he didn't do anything. A debate has been raging in Florida over whether or not the Miami Dolphins should unretire Dan Marino's number 13 for first-round selection to a Tagovailoa. Justin, did you think the Dolphins should let... Do you think the Dolphins should let Tua wear the number he wore in college? And I was all proud of myself for not stumbling over his name as bad as Commissioner Goodell did. And then I stumbled over the rest of the question. Don't worry about it, Daniel. It's a difficult name. In fact, I had to watch a Twitter video to learn how to properly pronounce it. And I'm actually fairly familiar with the way that a lot of Polynesian names sound. So don't feel bad about it. Um, I do think that in general, the practice of retiring jerseys is kind of dumb and that some teams have gone way overboard to the point that there's a ton of numbers that you can't wear. But if there is a player that deserves to have their jersey number retired in Miami, how could it not be Dan Marino? He's the biggest star in the history of your franchise. He was a quarterback in a pass-happy offense before any quarterbacks really had that big of a pass-happy offense. He was shattering records from the beginning of his career. He was a transcendent star. I don't think in any way the Miami Dolphins should consider letting Tua take this number. The only way this happens is if Marino says, no, you know what, Tua, you take the number. You carry on the tradition. I do think that would be a really cool thing for Marino to do to prove that he has confidence that Tua is going to take over and be the franchise quarterback. But I don't think he should feel obligated to do it in this situation. Andy Dalton was quickly signed by the Dallas Cowboys this week after being released by the Cincinnati Bengals, even as other quarterbacks like Cam Newton still have yet to sign. Uh, Dalton finished his career in Cincinnati as the Bengals' all-time leader in touchdown passes, completions, career passer rating, game-winning drives, fourth-quarter comebacks, and 300-yard passing games. He also holds team records for touchdown passes, yards, and a passer rating in a single season. He posted a 68-50-2 record and helped the Bengals reach the playoffs five times in nine seasons. Daniel, is the Red Rifle underappreciated? Absolutely. I have loved the Red Rifle ever since he came into the NFL. I thought that he was underappreciated throughout his whole career there. I mean, it's the Bengals, for Pete's sake. He got him to the playoffs five times. I know that his record wasn't great there in the playoffs, and he did struggle a little bit, but I think it was more his doing to get him to the playoffs than it was the overall talent of that team. I think he's a great quarterback. I've always liked him since his senior year of college. I think the Red Rifle is underappreciated, and I think that the Bengals' new quarterback, Joe Burrow, is going to have a tough task in front of him to try and do anything with a franchise that notoriously is super cheap and doesn't spend anything to help their players out. What do you think, Justin? Red Rifle, you with him? You against him? I uh, wrote this question specifically for you, Daniel, because I know you have a soft spot for the quarterbacks who get viewed as good quarterbacks who can't get their team over the top. You have the same soft spot for Alex Smith. I view Andy Dalton in a similar way that the national media does. I think he is a good quarterback who can win a lot of games. 
He's very productive. He seems like a legitimately good dude. People generally like him. For whatever reason, he went massive garbage in the postseason to like the point where the his postseason numbers, 0-4 in the postseason, 55.7 completions, one touchdown, and six picks in four playoff starts. They don't reflect how good of a player he is, and it's not that small of a sample size. So it feels to me in the Chad Pennington mold, like this is a guy who has he, he has great leadership skills. He is pretty accurate. He makes good throws. He knows how to take a risk, but he's not so um, he's not so crazy with risks that he throws a bunch of picks. I think he's a good quarterback who can lead you to a lot of wins. But teams are always looking for that like next explosive guy who can get you over the hump. So I guess if I were looking back on it, if I was Cincinnati, would I take Dalton again? Heck yeah, I would. I mean, you had nine years of a really solid quarterback there for you. But I can't blame them for wanting to move on to something better. So I, I uh, guess I feel... Yeah, in- I, don't, I don't blame them for going on to Joe Burrows, but do I think that Andy Dalton gets a bad yeah. rap? Yes, because yeah. he's been in a division with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens, who've been really good the past decade while he's been playing there, and yet he's still found a way to get that team into the playoffs for five years. I mean, yeah. that's impressive, especially when you think that outside of Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, what do you think about the Bengals? Uh, Giovanni, Giovanni Bernard, former yeah, Tar Heel running back. I mean, ex- exactly. There's not much. Yeah, There's and they have much. they've tried to draft tools. They drafted John Ross out of the University of Washington in the first round to try to help out Dalton. That didn't work out at all because it turns out all he is is fast and he's got yeah. butter hands. So <laughs> I I think uh shouldn't have I had that popcorn. It'd be I know. why can't I play quarterback? <laughs> um I think if uh if Andy Dalton goes on to have any kind of success after this, which is probably a tough hill to climb because even in Dallas, if everything goes the way the Cowboys want it to, they're going to have Dak and they won't have to worry about Dalton playing unless Dak gets hurt. But, you know, Carson Palmer famously was very unhappy with what Cincinnati did while he was there. He was a very good quarterback in Cincinnati. And then he moved on and had, pretty good success afterwards and even took a team to the Super Bowl. So, I mean, it's not crazy to, it's not crazy at all to blame the Bengals for what happened with Dalton. So I, I definitely can yeah. see what you're saying. I think when I, the, the postseason numbers are the thing that really makes the difference for me because it seems like with all the success he had in the regular season, for whatever reason, he could not perform in the postseason. He had one postseason game also that was just, an absolute puke fest where I think he threw for like 86 yards or something. So, I mean, you can blame the Bengals for most of it, but I don't think you can blame the Bengals for the disparity in his postseason numbers compared to the regular season. And see, I think you can, because I think that he was doing yeoman's work just to get him to the playoffs. And when they're playing a team, that's obviously also good in the playoffs. It's going to be really hard to perform well when you're playing against good competition. So that's, that's my view on it. It'd be like, you know, thinking that the Seahawks after they beat the saints were actually going to do something when it was Matt Hasselbeck and Charlie Whitehurst trying to get things done there in Seattle. Like, yeah, it was awesome that they got there, but were they actually a good enough team to do much in that without a miracle Marshawn run? It just didn't seem like they were 
a level of competition that really deserved to be in the playoffs. That's a fair point. That's an absolutely fair point. I wanted to see what you were thinking about that uh, receiver discussion. Do you think the Seahawks should have taken a a receiver earlier in the draft since there were so many good receivers in this draft or be a different one than Freddie Swain, who everybody went who and then looked him up and went, why? (laughs) I think uh, people were. And it's interesting, too, because like even the way Mike Salk was talking about it on his podcast was like, I feel pretty good about the receiver group, but I feel like almost every year we've gone into a draft thinking, let's hope the Seahawks can pick up a solid receiver to add to the receiver group. And now they actually have a pretty good receiver group, but there's no receivers are really hit or miss. And there's no downside really to having depth at receiver Um, wide receivers get injured a lot. A lot of teams are using three and four on the field at a time. Um, So I, in a way I kind of understand the sentiment, but I would rather see them address the needs that they addressed in the, in the first, second and third rounds. And once you got past mid third round, most of the top receivers were off the board. You know, I think the sweet spot for receivers from what I've been hearing people's opinions on it was like beginning second round to mid third round. Like that was the spot where, you know, you didn't get one of the best guys, but there's a really good group of receivers. You're going to get great value there. But I think the Seahawks felt like they needed to address different areas. And I feel better about the fact that they addressed the defense, um, at least in the at least in the second round. I'm not sure. I guess the third round pick is a little bit more dicey as far as whether they should have picked a receiver or not. I'd have to look a little closer at who exactly was left on the board at that point. But get, drafting a receiver was so far off my mind for the Seahawks going into this draft that had, had I not heard multiple Seattle guys mention it, I probably wouldn't have even thought about it. So, yeah, I, I, w- I wouldn't have thought about it too much, but I think the main name that gets brought up in this discussion is KJ Hill, who was drafted in the seventh round. So after Freddie Swain and you go from Freddie Swain, you had 68 total receptions for his whole career at Florida to KJ Hill who is the all-time career leader at Ohio State in receptions. So it seems like, yeah, he might have lacked in 40 speed, but it seems like he was actually a guy who knew how to play the game and get open and make catches, and instead they went for a guy who didn't really show it. How good of a returner was he? Because I, I haven't researched this. But my what my takeaway from the Freddie Swain pick was that they picked the best returner that they had on the board because they picked him to return, not to play receiver. Yeah, and I get that. But in my mind, returners are a dime a dozen. Like you find random dudes out there who can be really fast and return kicks in a lot of different ways. So using a draft pick on one, like I don't quite get it. Like you've seen good return men like Leon Washington bounce around and be available. And I don't know. I just, I don't quite see that as like, I understand it as a sixth round pick if you're just going for the returner, but I also watched his highlights. And usually when return men are playing in college, you see a lot of kick and punt return highlights and I saw like one and it was against like rice or something like that. So it was like, 
really it didn't seem like he stood out that much as like some outstanding receiver like uh like that kid for North Carolina a few years ago did ah, Switzer like, Switzer every single time he caught a punt or a kick you were holding your breath this guy was like eh and his one punt return for a touchdown and I saw in his highlights it was like he ran straight Okay I like I said I hadn't researched it but I think I think interpret or or uh looking at that pick and trying to grade it as a receiver um my, from what I have heard from the front office, like what they've been saying to the press and, and in interviews and stuff, uh, they they feel like this offseason is going to dramatically impact the ability of uh, especially skill position players to make an impact in on the game because they won't be able to practice with the team nearly as much and all that. Um, they, uh, John Schneider compared it to the, compared this year to the year that the lockout happened, um, and how that impacted the ability of rookies to come in and learn the playbook and play with the team. So I, I think, and again, like I said, I don't know how, I, I don't know how he graded as, I don't know if there were better returners available at, the, at that point, but I think that they picked him because they felt like, or I, I think that they picked him to come on and return as close to immediately as possible, uh, rather than for his, honestly, for anything to do with his receiving. Yeah, I and I hear you there, but honestly, just watching highlights and probably just because I'm a little bit more familiar since he's from the Northwest. But I'm kind of hoping that Aaron Fuller turns into that return guy because some of his highlights at Washington are pretty darn ridiculous. And, I mean, he had returns in big-time games like against Utah. So, I, I don't know. I think that that's definitely going to be open for competition. So, it'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. All right. That was the two-minute drill and then further discussion brought to you by State Farm agent Mark Rossetti. Thank you so much. Not only for being a sponsor here, but also happens to be who I go to for car insurance, which has helped me out. Well, let's transition into Stump Daniel. Now, this is this is, uh, you know, it's my favorite segment. Not for any particular reason. I just really enjoy, uh, you know, what it brings to the listener and to their experience. Sure. The reason that I like seeing Daniel look stupid. That well, I wasn't gonna say it out loud, but also, I also got a I also got a message from Justin today saying there's no way you get nine out of ten in this one, so be prepared to just take a dive. Well, in the short history of Stump Daniel, there has been a couple of times that Daniel performed exceptionally well. Uh, last week was one of those times. He got nine out of ten in uh, the special Seahawks draft edition of Stump Daniel. And even though he still took uh, took it as a defeat because the one he got wrong he felt dumb about, I think I would have probably got about half of them. I think Andrew said he probably would have got about six. It was one of the few times that I don't think I had a bunch of people telling me, how come Daniel didn't get those questions right? I, I think <laughs> last week was a victory. Now... <laughs> In order Wait, to people tell you that normally, great. Wait, that makes me even feel better about myself right now. You're welcome. <laughs> Happy to help out. Uh, that means I have to come back. Anytime you do well, I have to come back with something that's extremely difficult. 
All right. And this is interesting to me. I actually, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole this weekend because Gardner Minshew, this is a topic you guys all, we all uh, appreciate Gardner Minshew. I've been hearing so much talk uh, about the Jaguars and how they're, they're looking to tank so they can get Trevor Lawrence. They can move on from Gardner Minshew. Even before the draft, this this year, there was people saying, oh, are, they, are the Jaguars going to go after a quarterback so they can move on from Gardner Minshew? And it's it's kind of driving me nuts. It's one of those situations where I feel like people don't see the same thing that I see. And I started looking at what Gardner Minshew did this past season. 21 touchdowns, 6 picks. If he had been a first-round pick instead of a sixth-round pick, everybody would be looking at that as a success. Yeah. He had a 91.2 quarterback rating. He had 67 rushes for 344 yards. Uh, he managed a 6-6 six and six record as a starter for the team, which for a rookie, you know, it's way better than Peyton Manning did. I understand we have some uh, recent, some more recent history of rookie quarterbacks coming out and doing well, but even 21 touchdowns is tied for the ninth best rookie season in NFL history. Oh, I don't so, like where this is going. What I'm no, I'm not going to ask you about those guys. Although the <laughs> list is interesting, but I was I was looking at it and I started thinking, okay, how does Gardner Minshew stack up against the other rookies from that class? And the truth of the matter is, his numbers stack up really well against even the best quarterbacks out of last year's class. So then, because I'm an absolute massive nerd. I started going back and looking at the last 10 drafts and seeing how all the different quarterbacks stacked up against each other. So, Daniel, this edition oh, of no. Stump Daniel is a special NFL draft quarterback class edition. Going all the way back to 2010. I'm going to tell you what your task is, okay? I already gonna... messed up when Baker Mayfield was an answer because I couldn't remember his name <laughs> a couple weeks ago. <laughs> before we start, before we start, I'm not off the Gardner Minshew train yet, okay? Uh, Gardner Minshew, I know there was some inconsistency and he had a lull kind of in the middle. He also finished with a big win, got the team over 30 points in the game, completed 27 of 39 passes for 295 yards and three touchdowns in his last game of the season. So the Jaguars got left with a good memory. The actual Jaguars franchise seems to be the only people who have publicly stated, yes, we believe in Gardner Minshew. He's our guy going forward. So anyway, I want to be one of those guys too. You guys want to be those guys as well. But now we're going to go back about 10 years, okay? This what I'm going to do Daniel is I'm going to give you the brought year. Brought to you by the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. Thank you, Andrew. Stump Daniel is brought to you by the law <laughs> office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. I'm going to give you the year. I'm going to tell you every quarterback that was drafted in the first round. So that way you can kind of remember what the class of quarterbacks was. And then I want you to tell me in that draft class, not just the guys I give you, but in the whole draft. Which quarterback has the most career passing yards from that draft class? Career passing yards? Career passing yards. So we're going to sit we're going to go back and look at these draft classes. We're going to take a little bit of a look at them and then you're going to tell me who was the most successful passer out of that class, okay? Oh, this is going to be a lot of guesswork. <laughs> okay. Now, it is interesting. I'm not I don't want to give too much away, but some of these are going to be names I'm going to give you and some of them are going to be later round guys that ended up being good. All right, so 2010, 
Number one overall pick was Sam Bradford. The 25th pick in the first round was Tim Tebow. What was the highest, which quarterback from that class, not just those two guys, but the whole class, had the most passing yards in their career out of the 2010 class? Wow. Those were the only two taken in the first round? Those were the only two in the first round. Well, Sam Bradford sure had a lot of opportunities. <laughs> um, but he was injured a lot. Okay, here's your hint. Uh, this I, also is the draft that Sean Canfield came out of. Yes! From, from Oregon State. <laughs> Although it's not Sean Canfield. He threw for zero career passing yards. Yeah, I don't think he touched the field, but he was there. <laughs> Those backup backup QBU, Oregon State. Jeez, <laughs> uh, I don't think it's Sam Bradford, but I can't think of any other quarterbacks that I'm sure were drafted in that draft. Uh, I'm not guessing this yet, but Case Keenum comes to mind. Um, I guess I'll just, ha- I'll g- just have to go with Sam Bradford. Well, Sam Bradford is actually the correct answer. He has 19,449 career passing yards. The next best quarterback out, out of this class, actually, Daniel, this is another one of your boys, Colt McCoy, drafted in the third round. There we go. Yeah, he had 6,080 career passing yards. <laughs> it actually was a pretty weak quarterback class because the only two other notable guys were Colt McCoy and Jimmy Clausen coming out of the second round who passed for about 2,500 yards in his career. So there wasn't much That's in a- that draft class, but you are one for one to start. That's a miserable QB draft class. <laughs> yeah, there's some other bad ones. There also is some other... There's some pretty good ones here. Okay, so we're going to move on to 2011. There were four quarterbacks drafted in the first round in 2011. You had Cam Newton drafted first overall. Jake Locker out of UW drafted eighth overall. Blaine Gabbert drafted 10th overall. And Christian Ponder drafted 12th overall. <laughs> Why out even the- Ponder passing? <laughs> Out of the 2011 <laughs> class, the entire 2011 class, which quarterback has the most career passing yards? I'm going to go with Cam Newton. Ooh, that's incorrect. It would have no. been, been Cam Newton. However, in the second round, the Cincinnati Bengals selected Andy Dalton. Who uh, passed <laughs> That today <laughs> and the red rifle has passed for 31,594 yards in his career besides red cam rifle. newton yeah besides cam newton none of the other three guys in the first round worked out in that draft though however colin kaepernick was a second round pick and he ended up throwing for 12,000 yards and had a good career before he was blackballed from the nfl and also in the sixth round uh, a bit of a sixth-round gem to Rod Taylor, who's passed for uh, 9,562 yards in his career. All right, Daniel, you're one for two so far. We're going to move on to 2012. This is a draft class we're very familiar with. There's a lot of good quarterbacks in this class. I'm going to tell you, this was a tough one, and it's close. Uh, but number one overall, the selection was Andrew Luck. Number two overall, the Washington Redskins traded like a million picks and 400 geese and uh, soda machine to get Robert Griffin with the two pick. (laughs) 
And then you had Ryan Tannehill selected eighth overall, who also has had quite a good career and has played a lot of time in this in the time that he's been in the NFL. And then you had second, 22nd overall, old man Whedon, Brandon oh, Whedon. Whedon. <laughs> so those are the four first round picks out of the 2012 draft in the entire class, Daniel, who has the most passing yards. Uh, I'm going to have to go with, and I really hope this isn't wrong, but I have to go with Russell Wilson. <laughs> oh, third round pick. Russell Wilson has the most passing yards in that draft class. 29,734 followed yes. by Andrew Luck with 23,671 and then Ryan Tannehill with 23,000. 176. The other notable quarterbacks out of that draft class were second round Brock Osweiler, who passed for a little over 7,000 yards. Nick Foles. Yeah, Nick Foles also picked in the third round, along with Russell Wilson, passed for has passed for 11,901 yards. And Kirk Cousins, 24,107 yeah. 24, yards, more than Andrew Luck, more than Ryan Tannehill. So Kirk Cousins in the fourth round is actually second behind Russell Wilson in that draft class. Okay, Daniel, you're two for three. We're moving on to 2013. Only one quarterback was selected in this draft class. Spoiler Whoa. alert. You're not getting this one correct. In the first round? EJ or? Manuel was the first round, the only first round quarterback. The only first round quarterback in this draft. EJ Manuel, pick number 16. Daniel, who was the most successful quarterback in this class? Well, it wasn't him. <laughs> uh, do I get a hint at all? Nope. Nope. <laughs> no, because you already got two right. So, no, you don't. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of, okay, here's your hint. This is, what was it? Class. You, you said it was two thousand. <laughs> yeah, I got that already. 2013. <laughs> could have been, could have been whatever quarterback the Browns took. <laughs> they take um, a quarterback every year. I'm right? just, I'm just going to randomly say, I said his name earlier and I know that he's, got to play a little bit somewhere and I have no idea what year he was drafted but I'm going to go with Case Keenum Ooh, I'm sorry that is not <laughs> correct the answer is actually Geno Smith who oh. passed for 6,182 yards in his career as the most successful quarterback out of this class that also included third round pick Mike Glennon and fourth round pick Matt Barkley What? Oh. Yeah, yeah it's bad it what was a bad year for Smith? quarterbacks all right, you're two and two so far. What round was We're Smith? moving on. Say was that again, Andrew. What, what round was Smith picked? Second round. Okay. Yeah, by the New York Jets. Yeah, well, I, knew, All right. I remembered it was the Jets. 2014. We have three first-round selections. Third overall, Blake Bortles. 22nd overall, Johnny Football Manziel. And 32nd overall, <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater. What quarterback in this whole class has passed for the most yards? Ooh. Um, gosh, that's really tough. There's so many different factors in there. Not including the fact that I have no idea who was taken elsewhere in the draft. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like that stipulation that I don't get to know who the other candidates were. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of cheap. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go 
ridiculously, it seems, but I'm going to go with Bortles. Well, it would be Bortles, except in the second round, the Raiders took Derek Carr, who was ah. passed for 22,793 yards. <laughs> Bortles has 17,649. As you can imagine, Johnny Manziel and Teddy Bridgewater's numbers are quite a bit lower. And as you can imagine, of course, if I would have known Derek Carr was in that draft class. <laughs> That's why I'm not telling you all of them. All right. Second round in that class, also notably Jimmy Garoppolo, who's passed for just under 7,000 in his career, but has only played a couple of seasons. All right, moving on to 2015. Daniel, you have two correct so far. One and two were both quarterbacks in the 2015 draft. First overall pick was Jameis Winston. Second overall pick was Marcus Mariota. They were the only two quarterbacks picked in the first round of the 2015 draft. What quarterback was most successful out of this draft? Well, it's it's in terms of yards, right? Yep. Successful. Yep. Successful is arbitrary. <laughs> I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Winston because he does it also count return yards? I believe is what Andrew said. <laughs> yeah, if somebody intercepts your pass and returns it for a certain amount of yards, it goes against your passing numbers. Oh. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Oh. I'm going to go with Jameis Winston. He throws it for a lot of yards. Is Jameis Winston with 19,737 yards compared to 13,207 for the often injured Marcus Mariota? Here's the reason why nobody else got picked in that draft. Sean Mannion was a third round pick. He's thrown for 384 yards. Backup QB, you. The next most <laughs> successful quarterback in that class was seventh round pick Trevor Simeon, who has passed for 5,689 yards. So that also, considering neither of those quarterbacks really panned out the way they were supposed to, was also a garbage draft, except Sean Mannion from quarterback U coming in the third round. <laughs> now moving on to 2016, three quarterbacks were picked in the first round. You had Jared Goff, number one overall. Carson Wentz, number two overall, and Paxton Lynch, 26 overall. What quarterback passed for the most yards out of the 2016 class? Uh, I'm going to go with Jared Goff. Wentz was hurt a lot. Paxton Lynch sucks. And I can't remember other names from outside the first round. Well, did you say Jared Goff? Yes. <laughs> It would have been Jared Goff, except in the fourth round, the Cowboys picked Dak Prescott, who has passed for 15,778 yards compared to 14,219 for Goff. Wentz also, just behind Goff, has 14,191. I had Paxton, Lynch, Pax, Paxton Lynch has passed for 26 yards. No, I... no, sorry. That was his pick. 792 yards. <laughs> I had completely forgot that Dak was a fourth round pick. Yep, even yeah, same for us. Yep. And the only other notable quarterback in that class was Jacoby Brissett, third round pick, has passed for 6,442. But right now, Daniel, you have gotten the ones correct that I gave you the names for. <laughs> but the ones well, that you would have had to go, besides Russ, the ones you would have had to go off the board for, you haven't gotten. Yeah, shocker. Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, I don't know. I thought maybe you'd remember some of these guys, but whatever. You don't remember Dak Prescott? You don't remember Derek Carr? I mean, come on. Okay, 2017. I don't remember what year they were drafted. <laughs> 2017, first round. Mitchell Trubisky, second overall. The Bears traded up to get him. Tenth overall, Patrick Mahomes. 
12th overall, Deshaun Watson. There are a couple of other quarterbacks I noted as notable in this draft class, but Daniel, what quarterback from 2017 has passed for the most yards? Uh, This is really tough because there's different qualifying factors for... I mean, Trubisky has played... I think he's played the most, but he sucks. (laughs) Mahomes sat for a year, and Watson had injury issues. Mahomes sat for most of a year. Trubisky sucked last year, but he actually was pretty good and made the Pro Bowl in his sophomore season. I'm going to say because they go for so many stinking yards that Mahomes still pulled it out. Oh, I'm sorry. It's actually Deshaun Watson has passed for 9,716 yards compared to Mahomes' 9,412. You're about a game off there. (laughs) You're about a game off there, Daniel. Sorry. All right, moving on. Oh, the other quarterbacks notable, there really weren't any. Second round, Deshaun Kaiser. Third round, C.J. Beathard were the only two other even remotely notable guys from that draft. Okay, Didn't we you only say have... there were also no- notable guys? I said there were a couple, and I wrote their names you down. Liar. Well, you liar. It wasn't, it wasn't a lie as much as it was a deception, which is different. <laughs> All right, moving on to 2018, you had five quarterbacks selected in the first round. First overall pick was Baker Mayfield. Third pick was Sam Darnold. Seventh pick, Josh Allen. Tenth pick, Josh Rosen. 32nd pick, Lamar Jackson. Daniel, which quarterback among these and others notable has passed for the most yards? Uh... Nearly out of having the most games played, I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is correct. That is the correct answer. Baker has passed for 7,552 yards. Uh, Darnold would be next with 5,889. Josh Allen not far behind, 5,163. Lamar Jackson, 4,382. Um, the only other even semi-notable quarterback out of this draft class was third-round Mason Rudolph, who is only notable because he played because someone got hurt. And he yeah. shouted a racial slur at someone, and then they hit him over the head with a helmet. <laughs> That's well, pretty you're much just jump into all sorts of conclusions in this stump, Daniel. All right, and moving on. Every rumor <laughs> is true. Moving on to 2019. How many have you got right, Daniel? Four? Let's Four. see. You, you got Sam Bradford. You got Russell Wilson, you got Jameis Winston, and you got Baker Mayfield. Okay, so you've got four. So you could bring it even and go five and five if you get this one correct. 2019 draft. All this should be really fresh in your mind. Number one overall pick, Kyler Murray. Number six, or uh, yeah, number six overall pick, Daniel Jones. Number 15 overall pick, Dwayne Haskins. Now, as we know, because I rambled about it quite a bit before this segment started, and it's the reason that this segment even happened, Gardner Minshew was picked in the sixth round. That's your hint in this one, okay? So you got Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, and you know Gardner Minshew as well. Uh, I'm still going to go with Kyler Murray. 
It is Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray passed for 3,722 yards in his rookie campaign. Minshew, as I mentioned before, or maybe I didn't mention it because I was trying to keep it a secret. He passed for (laughs) 3,271. Daniel Jones, not too far behind at 3,027. It's hard to really pick who else was notable out of this draft, but I did mention, I did want to mention second round was Drew Locke uh, for Denver. Um, Will Greer was a good college quarterback who hasn't had a chance yet. He was picked in the third round. And then Jared Stidham picked in the fourth round, who is potentially the Patriots' next quarterback. Future so, Daniel, Daniel, you went five and five, which uh, if we're grading it like a test is a fail. So congratulations. Unfair. <laughs> Or if we're grading it like a baseball player hitting, I'm batting 500. (laughs) That's true. Or if we grade it like NFL completions, you're at 50%, and that's pretty bad. (laughs) Or if I'm shooting three-pointers, I'm shooting 50%. (laughs) Or if you're shooting free throws, you're shooting 50%. (laughs) I wish I would have shot 50% from the free throw line in high school. Oh, that's pretty bad. Did you shoot below 50%? My three-point percentage was better than my free-throw percentage. <laughs> sorry, Daniel. I'm sorry. It was miserable. Well, that concludes Stump Daniel, which is brought to you by the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz. And as promised, Daniel did not go 9 for 10. But I would like to mention Shocker. that the scrimmage is brought to you by the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz, State Farm agent Mark Rosetti, and also Oli Penn Real Estates. Thank you so much to our sponsors. They help us bring this show to you every single week. We do have another topic we want to talk about uh, before we go into the next break, and that is Aaron Rodgers. Is he mad? Are his feelings hurt? <laughs> Should his feelings hurt? Do you care about his feelings? Nope. I, I <laughs> think mean, this is interesting. Wait till after the break. <laughs> <laughs> but first, this from Damashevitz Law. And need someone on your side? Let the law office of Jeffrey A. Domashevitz be your advocate. If you've been the victim of medical malpractice, suffered a personal injury, or need representation with real estate law, small business law, or estate planning, let Jeff Domashevitz put his 29 years of experience to work for you. Call Jeff Domashevitz today at 360-612-3991 or visit domashevitzlaw.com. That's D-A-M-A-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z-L-A-W.com. And we're back. (laughs) It is time to get into uh, one of the biggest stories nationally that people are talking about after that NFL draft when the Green Bay Packers not only traded up and many people thought, hey, they're going to get up there and get Aaron Rodgers some weapons. Nope. They didn't get him a receiver in the (laughs) entire draft. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and instead, they drafted a quarterback who they think, I'm assuming, is going to be the heir apparent in Jordan Love. Justin, Aaron Rodgers, is he mad? He mad, bro? I think it's <laughs> reasonable to believe that this might have hurt his feelings. If I'm the Green Bay Packers, I don't give a crap about his feelings. I mean, I guess when I first saw the pick, I was surprised because I thought, okay, well... Rodgers is 36. He'll be 37 in December, so he'll be 37 before the end of this next season. How many more years do they think they're going to get out of him? I know a lot of people have been rewinding to when Aaron Rodgers was selected because they still had Brett Favre. Uh, 
But this is a really different situation because at that time, Favre was doing this every single season. Am I going to retire? Am I not going to retire? Not sure if I'm coming back. And also at the 23rd overall pick that season, Aaron Rodgers kind of fell into their lap. He was a guy who was tabbed as number one overall potential, but probably because he's incredibly unlikable as a person, teams didn't (laughs) want to draft him. I don't know that that's the reason. I know that I really don't like him. Uh, but and for whatever reason, he he was there, and they thought, well, we might need a quarterback. This guy could be extremely talented, and he has been a really good quarterback for the franchise, but this is not the same thing at all. This is the team actively trading up to go get a quarterback in the first round when your team has other significant needs. So I wouldn't blame Aaron Rodgers if he felt slighted by this. I also don't really care. I think if the Green Bay Packers looked at this and thought, okay, well, the thing that our team needs is some insurance and security at quarterback because Aaron Rodgers has not been as good. I mean, two seasons, last season, he wasn't that great. It was one of his, one of his worst statistical seasons of his career. Granted, that has something to do with the fact that they have less weapons. Devontae Adams was hurt a lot and they played much more of a running game. But he was so bad during his last year with Mike McCarthy that a lot of people were suggesting that maybe he was tanking on purpose to get his coach fired. Like, this dude hasn't been that good for the last <laughs> couple of seasons. I, I don't I don't think it's unreasonable to think that they looked at this situation and said, this is a guy whose skills might be deteriorating. We have an opportunity to draft a quarterback who we think, and this is all their evaluation. It's not my evaluation of Jordan Love. I don't think I probably would have gone for that with as many picks as he threw in college. But their evaluation was, this is a potential high first-round talent. We won't get a lot of opportunities at this point in the draft to draft a guy that's this talented. Even if he sits for a couple of years, this is probably the right move for our team for the long-term future. And they have to just hope that Aaron Rodgers can be okay with that. And if it hurts his feelings, it hurts his feelings. Who cares? Do the thing that's right for your team. Well, first of all, anything that hurts Aaron Rodgers' feelings, I'm, like, totally okay with. Since (laughs) uh, he is, like, one of my least favorite players in the league by far. So I am totally okay with that. But then to also not get him any receivers after that, even though the draft was super rich with receivers top to bottom, seems really weird. Like, what's going on in Green Bay right now? Do they want Rodgers to... Maybe they're trying to get him to retire as quick as possible because that seems like that might make the most sense because otherwise their cap hits, if they try to get rid of him in any other way before his contract is up in a couple of years, is huge. So they have basically zero way to get rid of him unless he just quits. So are they trying to get him to quit? They're like, hey, you tried to get the coach fired. So now we're trying to get you to quit. We're going to take a quarterback. We're not going to get any receivers. And your numbers can continue to tank. And hopefully you just retire and get out of our hair. Well, I think it was more them trying to set the tone for what kind of identity they want their team to have. I mean, Matt LaFleur is a power running game guy kind of in the Kyle Shanahan mold um, where, you know, you need a quarterback that can help you, but it's much more important for them to have a bruising running game. And so they prioritized a bruising runner instead of going out and getting a wide receiver. They do already have Devonte Adams. It's not like they don't have any weapons at receiver. They also have that. 
I think it's Valdez Scantling or whatever guy is that seemed to flash as as decent as a number two or a number three. Um, I feel like this was the Packers making a statement of who they want their team to be, what they want their identity to be. And also, there have been reports, although not directly from LaFleur, that he doesn't like Rodgers' attitude. Like, he's sick of his passive... His passive aggressive, snarky, smarmy, whatever you want to call him, that he's kind of a tool. He's a little bit too Northern California cool for what Coach LaFleur wants to do in Wisconsin. So the contradiction to this is that they just paid him a buttload of money, like a massively rich contract that has him locked in for at least the next two years. So I don't know exactly what they're hoping will happen. I think they probably look at Jordan Love as a as a project and maybe they think, okay, well, Rogers will be our quarterback for the next two years. Um, and Jordan love can learn under him and then we'll be ready when Rogers who already, in my personal opinion, although national media doesn't seem to agree with me, Rogers is already declining. He had issues. He's so risk averse that it's a detriment to his team in many situations. He'll either not throw the ball and then get mad at other people, or he'll throw a ball so off target it's at someone's feet because he's afraid someone's going to come come over the top and intercept it. He thro- his touchdown to interception ratio is incredible, but the advanced metrics also show that his risk aversion is a bit of an issue um, for his offense at times. So I, I can see they're looking at a guy who doesn't fit what they want to do, and he's also declining, and to get some insurance in there, in the next couple of years, you have a quarterback that you feel is talented that you can mold for the future. Yeah, it's really interesting to look at the decline of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it was so stark in that season that people, you're right, thought, is he trying to get his coach fired? And I'm not sure about you, but uh, that's not usually something a coach likes, even when he's coming in as the new coach. So I'm not exactly sure what the thought process there is in paying him a ton of money when you're trying to get another quarterback back. And it's really interesting to look at the last two seasons. Now they did go 13 and three last year, but by every knockout the Seahawks, but by every advanced metric, they got really lucky in their 13 and three season. They, they won about three games more than they should have. And when they faced the Seahawks, they were facing a team that had about two limbs. I mean, they were facing a team that was so injured. They could barely stand. The other argument for Aaron Rodgers, now remember, I don't like him, but he had 26 <laughs> touchdowns and four interceptions last year. It's pretty darn good. And the year before that, when he was supposedly tanking, he had 25 interceptions and, or 25 touchdowns and two interceptions. So it's not like, and he still threw for over 4,000 yards in both of those seasons. And as we mentioned, their weapons aren't exactly great outside of Adams. So. I don't know. It's a little, I think it's a little bit more nuanced than you just saying he's absolutely been declining over the past couple of years. And yeah, his risk aversion might play into those lack of interception ratios, but to still throw for 25 and 26 touchdowns with the lack of weapons that is perceived there. And we all know how amazing Jimmy Graham has been ever since he left the saints. I mean, it's not like they have too much to work with there. 
I don't think it's so much just that he's declining. I think it's a collaboration of things. I think he doesn't match the identity of what their their team wants to do. He's declining. He has a crappy attitude and he's hard to work with. And those things all combined force the front office and LaFleur to look at it and say, okay, maybe we need to have another option here because maybe the situation was becoming untenable anyway. I don't, I don't really know, but it's a pretty drastic step to take, I would think. I mean, do you guys think that Rodgers will still be there in a couple of years? Do you think after the next two years when they basically have to have him for the next two years, otherwise it's yeah. going to cost him a buttload of money? Well, well, I think my first thought is is maybe the Packers are still holding on to the old way of doing things with quarterbacks, which seems to be a pretty good way of looking at things when you look at different success stories throughout the last couple of years when you see random teams that have had to do it. It seems like quarterbacks who don't just jump in their first year as a rookie have a better chance of success. You look at Patrick Mahomes, who didn't have to start right off the bat. You look at Lamar Jackson, who didn't have to start right off the bat. It seems like Aaron Rodgers didn't have to start right off the bat. It seems like people are better prepared to succeed outside of the random outlier like a Russell Wilson, they're better prepared to succeed for the long haul if they don't have to do that. So maybe they're just like, look, we still believe in this old way of doing things. The Packers are kind of an old school team at heart and in their front office, I feel. So maybe that's just what they're thinking. The other thing to me, though, is it does seem really weird that they seemingly could use more talent on the offensive side of the ball and they didn't get any more weapons. That's, that's the bigger thing to me, like in combination with drafting a quarterback with their first round pick that they then also were like, yeah, and we feel like you're good. Go play with what you got. Uh, Andrew, did you have thoughts on this? Daniel and I have dominated the conversation so far. I just had a, like, so you guys are talking about the dead cap hit or the dead money hit if they trade him. Is that does that mean that there's literally no way for him to be traded for? Because I don't have a good understanding of the way the salary cap works in the NFL, but my thought was that maybe they would look to try to trade him to one of the franchises that has completely lost their long-standing quarterback like the the uh chargers or the patriots um franchises that would maybe be willing to invest a bunch into uh maybe the late end of his prime you could argue quarterback um is that not possible because of the way the salary cap uh dead money works you, you know, I'm I'm going to have to lean to Justin on this because I know in baseball, you can literally pay players to play for another team, but I'm not sure how that works in the football salary cap. Everything that I've seen, people's opinions about it have said, hey, trade's not likely because this will still affect their salary cap. Gotcha. Yeah, and the only things that I've seen although i haven't had see, i haven't heard anybody specifically address what you just asked but i all everything i've seen was they're locked in with him for at least two years they could go three and if they go two they have a bit of a, a cap hit but it's not detrimental but they have him for at least two more years so as far as the trade is concerned i'm not really sure and 
I just really believe I, a lot of people have already been talking about Patriots. It comes up every time there's a quarterback. Mm-hmm. I don't think Bill Belichick wants that. I think he just got out from under his old diva quarterback and he doesn't want another guy who could possibly be bigger than him. You know, he loved Brady when Brady was a sixth round pick who um, overachieved with low stats and helped the team win when they run one based on their rushing attack and their defense. And then the more the more Brady's star grew, the more difficult their relationship was. Bill Belichick wanted him out. He wanted him out when they drafted Jimmy Garoppolo. And it didn't happen because Brady was still performing well. So I I really think, to me, it's like a 0.00% chance that uh, Aaron Rodgers would end up in New England. But if you're talking about another team that, you know, may have lost a a quarterback that's been a long-time quarterback, I can see that happening. I also wonder, and I'm curious your guys' thoughts on this, have we just been fooled by Tom Brady and Drew? Like, why do we think every quarterback can play to 40 plus now? There's not a grand history of quarterbacks, even in recent history, being able to play to over 40 years old. There's a couple of guys that are doing it right now. And everyone seems to think that that's just the new way that things are. And so when I see things like, well, Aaron Rodgers can play five more years, he'd be 40 freaking two. I mean, that's not a normal <laughs> way for people to think that, yeah, we're going to get five more years out of Rodgers. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point to bring up, especially since didn't Rodgers say that he could see the 18th hole coming or something like that? So <laughs> I didn't hear that. That's I, awesome, though. I, I think that the, the, the likelihood of plus 40s quarterback becoming the new normal is a little out there. I think that there's going to be certain guys who are transcendent and who take really good care about their body and who love the game enough will do it. I think that you've seen it in Tom Brady. You see it in Drew Brees. But I think Russell Wilson has expressed the desire to want to play as long as he can. I do think that that's going to be the outlier and we shouldn't expect quarterbacks to play into their 40s even though they are protected more and more and more because it still takes a lot to be an NFL quarterback I think it's reasonable to think that Rodgers could still have a few more years as you mentioned with the stats earlier he's still playing at a high level and I probably it wasn't really fair for me to compare Rodgers to Rodgers like if you look at the best years of Aaron Rodgers's career they're pretty incredible so to say that he's declined he can still be a good quarterback But the bottom line is he's not the same guy that he was. So if he wants to still be the same star that he was, I'm not sure if that's going to work out. And, and I think, you know, we've seen example after example of quarterbacks, great quarterbacks, you know, Tom Brady being the most recent one, we saw Peyton Manning, you know, obviously there, the, there's the example in the nineties of Joe Montana, a lot of great quarterbacks end up finishing their careers with a different team and it'll be weird, but don't you guys think there's a, it's more likely than not that Rodgers will finish elsewhere. I if, do. I mean, I'll let Andrew go on that. Oh, one. I, I just, I want to get on the record now. My preferred timeline is that Rodgers has another year, possibly maybe two, if what you're saying is true that he, they can't, he can't really leave for a couple years, uh, and then, and he just gets more and more angry, and then he goes to the Bears. And plays for several more years and hopefully wins a few major playoff games against the or not playoff games, but uh, playoff implication games against the Packers, just because I think that that would be an awesome sequel to Brett Favre going to (laughs) the 
<laughs> the Vikings. <laughs> the timeline could match up if they go with Foles for the next couple of years. That that would be a storyline worth rooting for, I think. <laughs> but then you would still have to... That would be awesome because then the Bears would then get maybe the two most unlikable quarterbacks to go play for them <laughs> partway through their career in Jay Cutler just smoking cigs on the sideline. <laughs> I don't know if that ever happened, but I've heard that reference. But Aaron Rodgers and then, I mean, can you imagine both of those two pouty faces being known as the two guys who are supposed to come in and save things? Gunslingers just chucking the ball around. Did you guys hear the Danny Cannell quote uh, from this week? He said, and uh, Danny Cannell, in case anybody doesn't know, is a former NFL quarterback. Uh, didn't really do much of anything of note, but he's an analyst now. He called Aaron Rodgers Jake Cutler with a ring because he's saying <laughs> basically the only thing that separates a guy like Aaron Rodgers from Jake Cutler is that he won one Super Bowl early in his career. But attitude wise and arm talent wise, they're basically the same guy. Oh, that's amazing. I like that. Yeah. I love it. I, I love it. That except- bombshell. Except for the fact that Jay Cutler threw about a billion picks and Aaron Rodgers is like the best at not throwing picks. So Aaron Rodgers cares more about his personal stats is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't get the impression that Jay Cutler cares much about anything. I think (laughs) if you've watched any clips of him, too, on that reality show that he was. What is it? What is his? Well, they're splitting up now, I guess. But what is it? What's his wife's name? I can't remember, but I've seen, I've watched only the clips where Jay Cutler is in that show and it's hilarious. Doesn't he strike you as a guy who wakes up in the morning and comes up with a plan to not do anything that day? (laughs) Is there anything wrong with that? Well, no, if you're rich and you can do whatever you want, I don't really see a big issue with it. I might be that guy. I don't know. You guys are making me like Jay Cutler now. (laughs) I was talk to the guys I know who retire and then keep doing stuff and they're like well I gotta do something and I'm like why <laughs> <laughs> no you don't <laughs> exactly alright I think it's time we move on and that means we are going to uh, wrap up this part of the show we are going to move on to part two of the scrimmage first of all let us know if you uh, like having two different parts if Uh, you like having maybe a shorter segment that you can just catch up on quickly let us know if you like that you can reach out to us on facebook on twitter either way but that's going to do it for the first part of our show thank you again to our sponsors the law office the law office of jeffrey a domashevitz state farm agent mark rosetti and Oli pen real estate for bringing you uh our show today